February 20, 2007. It's a Watt from Pedro show.
going home. I'll take the shortcut home. I wanna go home. I'm on my way. With the memories of tonight, like gems. Stashed away safely in my pocket. What from Pedro show? Whoa, turn that down. Sorry about that. Um, that was from Brain by Miku, and we start off John Coltrane. Where's my paper? No, that's not the name of the tune. It's uh, I'm a Dreamer, aren't we all? John Coltrane. Uh, February 20, we're on a Tuesday, and it's Fat sunny. Tuesday. Fat Tuesday. So everybody uh, get all the sinning in for Lent tomorrow. Yeah. Get on your knees. Indulge. For Hash Wednesday. Wednesday. <laughs> uh, that's Richard Bonnie. You heard uh, his voice there. Captain fucking Bonnie, welcome. Uh, from the we have a uh, visitor from overseas. Another Irish Catholic uh, boy. No, yeah. Welcome to Pedro. Brother Matt, too, he went to seminary school a little bit. Well, he went to a Jesuit college. Yeah, you got some, some Loyola time. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I went to a Jesuit. My mom is Italian, so we got to be Catholic. Uh, God bless us all. Here. Yeah. God bless us all. <laughs> so get that hate mail coming. <laughs> <laughs> Although, <laughs> statues probably leap from the wall and invite me to the church. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, Jerry, <laughs> Trevitich had me... Uh, Godchild, Godfather. Oh, yeah, why? You're the Godfather. Yeah. Punk meets the Godfather. And so I had to go to uh, Mary Star for that, and I was sure they were going to leap off and strangle the whole beat down on me. Still to this day, the only church I've ever been in where the Virgin Mary's holding a fishing boat. She's holding yeah. the boat. Yeah. And the other arms in like a, I don't know, I tribute to uh, Benito Mussolini. <laughs> <laughs> But the rest of the statues have their hand out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. The palms the other way. Palms up. All right. Get so cute. Blasphemy. Yeah. Wrong. Well, some time to help. Sepulchre. <laughs> Burning sepulchre for that. Uh, I met Hugh. It's an interesting story. Um, I found, you know, I really into this book. Jim Joyce wrote, you know, mm-hmm. Ulysses. And... I found out there was going to be an Irish production of it, which I thought fitting since he was an Irishman. But he never went back. I think he went back once after he wrote it. But uh, I found out it was going to be called uh, Bloom. And because there was a flow going around the internet and looking for music. So I put it out through my flow. And a friend of mine, David Kahn, uh, was hip to it and wrote it. He ended up doing the music for it. So uh, he gets an advanced thing. So me and Raymond Pettibone go up there to look at it. And I was really scared, you know, because it's all lived in my head for all these years since the 20s. There's a lot of double nickel songs written. In fact, there's a song called Shoot 16. 
which is the day it happened. It's Betty Bone's birthday, too. But um, I was kind of scared, you know, what's going to... All, all these things have been words turned into inside my head thoughts, and now someone is going to take a dive and make Visuals. Celluli celluloid visualizations of it. And who ends up being Stephen Dedalus, but Hugh. Hugh writes uh, me email. And and then uh, I go and play there not too long after, I think with Stooges. And uh, I get to meet Hugh. And the first thing I told them was, man, Stephen Dedalus looks so happy. Because my take on the book, was to him always full of dread and shit and thinking about his mind. Just all kinds of burden. Yeah. He seemed to be carrying a heavy weight through the whole thing. And, um, yeah, so, uh, so I asked him about his take on it. Although he, there was some horror moments in your face, but there was a lot of uh, smiles, too. I, I don't know. There was all kinds of scenes in the thing that... But of course, you know, everybody's going to have their own take on a, uh, a book. And when they make it into a thing, and also, there's a lot of pages, so they couldn't fit it all in, so some of this had to be redacted. Uh, but you know, them being Irishman and Jim Joyce, Irish writer, in a lot of ways, the book is a celebration of the town of Dublin. So I know they felt that way. You know, so like me being on Stooges record, I had this nightmare, this headstone, all it said was, fucked up a Stooges record. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be buried in Stooges. I was having this fucking nightmare over So I know that they weren't being trite, some Hollywood thing, oh, we'll do what we want, we paid for this. Uh, so, yeah, they went and gave it their best shot. It's just, uh, I, and I ended up liking it, too. So great. But Raymond said, too, man, what a tough call because so many people have read that thing. And uh, how'd you get ready for it, Hugh? Yeah, well, it was it was one of the last sort of it was a last minute thing for me to get involved in it. But uh, I felt really, as you sort of said, it was kind of intimidating because it's such a great story and almost shouldn't really be a film, in a way. But it was a riff. I guess it was a riff on a great story. Ah, that's the word. What riff. they were trying to do, you know. Yeah. Um, and I guess I, for me, you know, about finding him happy in it, I just found so much of it really funny. And that Stephen Dallas, even though he's got this terrible burden as you say he kind of still is really funny about everything in his his black humor sort of way yeah. um and kind of just throwing caution and saying fuck it you know i'm Did just you read it before you knew you were going to get it yeah i'd read most of it before but it made me go back and read the whole thing you know, italian dudes tell me that when they're in school they push the dante on it yeah and do they do that? Were they you a fan? Were you a fan? I was, I was, yeah. But I'm not so much young, but a bit older, you know. Yeah, but uh, right, more they, when you can understand. They, yeah, and they make you read, you know, not make you, but you read Dubliners, the short stories, because that's okay. easier to read, and there's the portrait of the artist as a young man, and, and a Jesuit. There's you foreshadowing, know. in fact, because the Stevens in there. That's his story, exactly. But the, the thing for me was that, you know, growing up... Uh, in a Jesuit school, um, punk rock was really important to us because we were, you know, getting through this 
not liking school at all you know the usual way <laughs> that was your escape and you know you'd read the enemy which was at the most kind of I think it was at its highest maybe for me anyway when I as I remember it it was more like the 80s 90s you know where an enemy really meant a lot in England and Ireland anyway that they would break the bands and that they always mentioned the Minutemen and so we'd be starting to find out more about the Minutemen because we were all into Dinosaur Junior and all those guys in Sonic Youth but we you know the Minutemen were like who are these guys we'd start buying their records and uh, that was when it really exploded for us you know so everyone would write Minutemen on their their school um, notebooks and stuff and uh, so then so then when years later you know when I when I get to meet David Kahn and he, I said how did you get involved in this he said Mike what and I said from the Minutemen <laughs> and he's like yeah and I said is there any way I could you know just write to him and say how much his music meant to us you know and uh, David is a great guy and he, he gave me Mike's what, uh, email address and yeah. I found out Mike was actually on, online a lot and yeah. you know with his website and this and I yeah I know completely so <laughs> that yeah. was it did you uh you saw like double nickels on the dime. You heard that? We'd had that for years, yeah. you know. Did you know that there was a big influence on me? Joyce. Well, we I'd read about that. Yeah, I okay. had, but I never yeah, put two and two. Cats didn't. Yeah. Well, June sixteenth. Minute things seem to stay uh, internal. We thought was very clear and obvious. And <laughs> like even the title of that record, no one got it. Was a total joke on Sammy Hagar. Nobody, nobody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm still learning things off Minutemen albums, and I yeah. grew up, you know, yeah. I was there. You were there. And you were there. And I'm still learning different doors that. I met Richard washing pots and pans at the hospital as a teenager. Yeah. Great. We've known each other for 30 Whoa. odd years, 34 years. Something. Yeah, a bunch. Weird like that, yeah. But. So, um,. Uh, you came. Uh, I know. I know you saw us at Dublin Castle, right? Which was an amazing gig. Yeah. Uh, and it was weather like this. It was. It was gorgeous very weather. Typical of Dublin. Right? Yeah, not, <laughs> not at all. Very rare day in Dublin. Or what? <laughs> it really was. It was really sunny. It was. Yeah. It was righteous. But I had a weird feeling because right before the gig, they told me a lot of cats had been hung in that courtyard. Wow. It's not as much as the castle. Is this a set of buildings? Maybe in the older days it was an actual castle, but it has this neat kind of thing. They laid out brickwork to make kind of their uh, courtyard type thing. No, nah, there's their designs. They have oh. this thing in them, like an uh, India mandala. Uh-huh. Mandala. So Irish have Celtic. Oh yeah, yeah, Celtic. Yeah. Celtic. Celtic. yeah, and they made the court like that. Uh-huh. And uh, I guess it was headquarters for uh, occupying. Governments, right? Yeah, <laughs> it was. Fingers, but there's a lot of heavy karma I felt. But I thought, in a way, maybe uh, you know, Iggy freaking out there in the Stooges wailing, purge some of that. And then the sun came out. Yeah, <laughs> the sun was out the whole day. It was righteous, man. It was righteous weather. Actually, it wasn't my first gig there. The first time I played there was with Jay at the Temple Bar. Yep. Or by the in the downtown, right downtown. Although well, this was close too, I could walk. Uh, Dublin's a town. I saw Hugh again when the centenarian uh, celebration of Bloomsday came. Mm. So uh, June 16, 2004. And you know the book. You can follow a lot of it. You know a lot of the stuff is still there. You can walk. You can do the walk. Yeah. Davy Burns. You know. And, and, 
really. So it's you can do like a walking tour almost. Right. Yeah. 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 No There's no, no Turkish baths. There's some things now that are missing because it was a hundred years ago. But you can go down by the Keys and just walk a lot of the, the route. In no fact, Hugh Meadows said uh, the library outside the library. National Library. Is is that your hometown? Yeah. Cute yeah, I still live there. Yeah. And uh, they had a lot of his stuff because Joyce, after Ireland, he was basically living in different people's pads. So they had the suitcase, you know, which was like <laughs> the most flopping. permanent thing. He had. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> couch tour. <laughs> and more, it wasn't just him. It's him and his family, his <laughs> son and daughter, and uh, right, right, Nora family. Barnacle. Now, she was from Galway. She's from the West, which is a lot of U.S. Irish. I, I found this out, too. The Dublin people, the East Side, had a little better. So they didn't really have to bail like the West guys oh. do. So the way Europe is, especially in the older days, it can be just a few miles, but it's separated. And so they're, they're, they're kind of different folks. You mm. know, there's regions of Ireland. Was it, was it a, a racial thing? I mean, a... Uh, uh, was it segregated, like, uh, class, pecking order, class? Well, or? I guess that was more the north-south thing, really, wasn't it? The, the, that was the really pol- political side to things. I mean, I think the, the west and the east of Ireland are kind of uh, the same religions and all that sort of right. stuff, so it's not quite, there's not that friction that there has so been. So it wasn't always Protestant, Catholic. Right, that would have been more economic, no. like you're yeah, saying. I was saying yeah. more about the money. That that was one right. time, Dublin was making more money than London. Right. Really? Yeah, yeah. it was... And what was the what was the major trade? What was the what was the, the generation? What was generating all the? There was there was a lot of farm. You know, within Ireland it's farming, but there was a lot of shipping. But what was really big was Belfast became really uh, a big port, and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of sort of the Huguenots, yeah. French Huguenots, and people started doing weaving and things in the right, north. Right. And then Belfast became more much richer and then that started to kind of feel resentment in the south the Belfast was kind of becoming more you know powerful sure. and they were also Protestant families coming in and so that started to create yeah. the, right. the fight there between there was also a, a, an uprising in the late 1700s around our revolution right right and uh, England pulled out some connects and that's when land, uh, there was a lot of land wars there, wasn't it? A lot, yeah. of, a lot of yeah. the rich uh, Absolutely. landowners. That's right. Yeah, And, yeah. and, and, and you know, a lot of English English landowners, you know. Yeah, and, or, or, or bringing in Scott guys Scottish to guys, wars. that's right. Right. Yeah. So it was kind of Machiavellian, yeah. you know, you bring in these <laughs> other guys. Yeah, no kidding. There's, no. There's, some, there's some history, like most lands. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Uh, but, yeah. you know, this last tour I did with uh, Second Man, when I toured my opera, I played Belfast. Dublin and Cork and uh, when I went through the border there wasn't even a stop you know so yeah and in fact the club I played in Belfast had grenades or it was shut down for having rocket grenades and stuff year, a few years ago <laughs> so some things have calmed down uh, when I was in Cork that's where they found the money from the big bank I mean this guy was trying to burn it in his yard oh, yeah <laughs> the and, big uh, Cork was really neat he I've robbed the bank there. and then he tried to burn the money? It wasn't he, it was... Uh, a whole bunch of them, yeah. Oh, okay. Gangster types. <laughs> and, uh, um, so, you know, maybe a, a healing kind of thing. Getting along. I was also taken to some of these uh, councils. They paint the big murals. I mean, these are intense things. I mean, so there's, a, there's just some bad blood and maybe some things will never heal, but 
on the other hand, I look at the problems we've had in this land. Oh, yeah. You know, and, of course, Still you can't happened. whitewash over them. And there's karma in that sense. But then there's got to be a get beyond thing or nothing. You know, That's what's good about the arts. Because I know Hugh sure. goes to London and does work there. I mean, you know, there comes a point where things have to let go, and it's not like you're co-opting or compromising principles, but in the sake of humanity, if you keep... Uh, like Joyce says in the book, uh, history's a nightmare I'm trying to wake up from. <laughs> right. You know, you've got to be in charge of the day Yeah. in some ways. And yeah, so we somehow got to learn from... You would hope madness, you know. You would think, hope. you would hope, you would think that you know that we wouldn't repeat most uh, of the scourge that you know we, mm-hmm. we afflict on ourselves. You know, uh-huh. you know. I don't know what it is about mankind that makes you want it's to own worst enemy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like we don't. We have seen the enemy in it. Pogo, remember that? Yeah. Kind of I don't see anything romantic about it. <laughs> yeah, that's just me personally, but <laughs> no, but it can get romanticized. It, yeah, it well, it does get romanticized. Everything does to to an extent. But yeah, yeah, what's we're the, own worst what's the favorite mating call around here? Right, where are you from? Where are you from? Yeah, where are you, where and are you then, from? Then the <laughs> pistoles, <laughs> whatever. So I, I think it's an endemic on all of us and. Uh, things uh, go through cycles, d- uh, different lands. If you look at uh, Scandinavians, they call this most civilized place now. But they had periods where they were Viking crazy, and <laughs> so um, reps gum and go. But I swear, we all take turns at being assholes. Mm-hmm. Probably, and um, I'm very indebted to Irish people. For uh, producing a culture, produced Jim Joyce, a very inspirational thing in my life. Speaking yeah. of Irish, I ate limericks today. Did you? In Long Beach, we go Sean. <laughs> nice corned beef sandwich. <laughs> I knew that too. <laughs> now, Hugh, your pop, you come from music. Right. Yeah, my dad. Um, who you said you've actually played on the show before, yeah, which is yeah. a real thrill for me. That's great. Um, yeah, you me some of his music. I did, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you had music early in your house. Sure. He was, yeah, he, he uh, went to study in Vienna, so I grew up the um, first two years of my life in Vienna, and uh, that's where he was studying under a great teacher of his. And then he won a, an, inter- an international competition when he was quite young, and he won a piano, and he got some, some gigs out of it. And so he started touring and, and playing, and he's played ever since. So that's, that's uh, always been in our life as well, wow. music, yeah. Cool. So what uh, hipped you to active? He kind of, I think he had said, you know, his mum had been quite a, you know, uh, a very poor family, and she wanted the best for them despite everything, so she'd send them for these classes, a music class once a week, to see if they were any good at music, and uh, maybe like a, a drama class, the local drama, and they used to do that. Um, when he was growing up and so he did the same to myself and my brother where he sent us for like a music class and a, and a uh, drama class and it sort of stuck we, we always did music but then I, I found I was enjoying drama as well and, and got work from that so uh, I think it was it was kind of his, his mum saying I'm going to have a better life for you guys in the same oh, yeah. you know kind of more of a cultured yeah. life than anything else do you know what I mean to and sort of see great. what else is he out there you, he lets you 
feel out what you, yeah. what you felt. Yeah. yeah, but I'll tell you, most, like in my pop, not knowing, not having any music in his family, music people, they think it's a very iffy, scary field to go into and something, uh, be afraid. Mm. Uh, Pete Mazich, you know, his parents, mm. I know heavy on him for playing, even though they sent him to music school, is this something you're going to do on the side? You're going to work Wait, at the cat yeah. food factory yeah. and then go down the docks? Uh, you know, that's exactly it. That's exactly what they were like for my my dad. She was sent to the class, but then when he wanted to do, she's like, no, no, no. Oh, that's yeah. only crazy. The side mouse. Well, yeah. My father, my father could not believe. My father was born and raised on a ranch in New Mexico. He couldn't believe that I can get in a van with five other guys and go across the United States and come home with money in my pocket. <laughs> he had no c- conception. Of it. He had no clue. He knew we were up to something. Grabbing banks, stealing cars. He just could not grasp that, that I'm not a musician, yet my friends are, and I can get in a van and go across America and come home enough to live for, you know, till hopefully till the next tour. <laughs> so, yeah, man. We're all blue collar, you know? Yeah, we're, yeah. You know, working class, yeah. you know? But that's what, like, well, it says, that's what's great about the arts. It gives you that opening to explore, see other worlds. Exactly. That. Yeah, break out of the box, because most people are just trained to get some jobs so that they can pay their bills and that's yeah. you know, we know no that freedom here. in that <laughs> yeah. Yeah. we know that here brother Matt. we know people who work on the docks great job nothing wrong with it fantastic work if you can get it. but they they live work shop go to the movies buy their music take their vacations <laughs> 26 miles across Catalina like I said nothing wrong with it it's great there's options. There's options. Yeah. There's options. Yeah. For uh, it takes a lot of colors to make a ring. Sure. You brought some music. Yes. You yes, Mike. Play some here. A song you picked. Okay. Tell I was. Um, I just wanted to play. Uh, I, I was. Uh, I came back from San Francisco at the weekend. We were listening to some tunes and uh, we listened to a lot of California type music and Credence made me think of of you because of you guys playing that so much and, and growing up on that. So, uh, you know, they actually weren't a Bayou band. They were California. They were California. <laughs> they were very Northwest Northern, Bayou. Northwest. Very Northwest Bayou. I guess they're like by Berkeley. Berkeley, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess because always the California sound for us is, I mean, we, we even, I was saying to Brother Matt earlier on, the idea of Pedro from, from the Minutemen was in our heads in Ireland because it was like this magical place where you guys had talked about and it was so far away from where we were. It was sunny and you were by the sea and you know what I mean? Yeah. It, was, it became this magical place so california is a, a lot of music is a lot in our hearts anyway. well, i know about california and europe because like in the early 80s when uh, we had another clown in charge and they were putting in nukes <laughs> piercings or something and so there was a little uh heavy thing so i would always say i'm from california there'd be no problem <laughs> <laughs> it is a romanticized kind of thing but it it's got some yeah, it does. I love it. <laughs> okay, so let's play some It's uh, this is Queens, it's just a thought. Ah! 
from Bedro show Hugh that was a song you picked there yeah it was the action who was this kind of quite obscure band from the 60s I think an English band who recorded this album uh, they didn't even get to finish it I think but George Martin was the producer on it the, uh, and uh, and then it never got they never got to finish the album so that's just a sort of a, a test but I still think it sounds pretty good wow um so that was Brain by the Action. Yes, it was. Before that, we had uh, Culture Shock with uh, Mono Negro HC, maybe Hardcore. <laughs> that was a band that uh, played up the Stooges of Skopje uh, a couple months ago when I was playing there. And uh, they're great. Uh, I think they live up in Seattle, but they're from the Balkans, most of the guys. What, uh, bass is uh, Japanese and drummers U.S. Uh, <clears throat> And the bass player flowed me some of their CDs. I'll be playing more of it. Thank you, Masa. He's a great musician. They all are incredible. And that music, because I think it's a crossroads of different, a lot of different cultures, uh, they got the weird timings and the Turkish yeah, thing and the scales. Yeah. And before that, we had a band from Italy. Um, Alexander DeLarge with uh, God's Dreams and Man. Interest, interesting stuff there. And uh, for that, Putanesco with uh, uh, Captain Beefheart cover, Lick My Decals Off, Baby. And that was Joe Bison on the guitar. Ralphie on the bass. And uh, God, who's the drummer? I, I recorded with him. He's on that the song I did with Henry. On ball hugger oh. tugboat. Damn, what's his name? Local guy? No, he's Orange County, but he's a great drummer. Yeah, Wayne, Wayne Griffin. Sorry, Wayne. Lo <laughs> siento. Yeah, and of course Webb. It's her project, and those three guys back her up. And I think they're playing the uh, release thing tonight in Silver Lake. Or uh, Highland Park. Highland Park, Mr. T's. Mr. T's Bowl. Bowling Alley. I've played there many times. Mm-hmm. Mr. T passed away a couple of years ago. Old, old Sicilian guy. God, he looked great in his old age. He wouldn't guess his age at all. And it was an old bowling alley that they <laughs> put a curtain in front of the lanes and made gig out of it. One of my, my base broke there once. Somebody was helping me and dropped it. <laughs> And then uh, he says, don't worry, <laughs> I uh, know somebody can fix it. And he took it to a boat ride who'd never even probably seen a base that close <laughs> and put all this marine epoxy on. It helped for a while, but eventually it was glue on glue, so I just had to put a new piece of mahogany in there. It's a little red one. Oh, I'm wearing it. I'm on the cover of Bass Player Magazine. Oh, that come out now? Yeah, it comes out next month. Cool. And uh, Again, how many sounds times like is I'm that one? tooting the horn, but... They came down to Pedro to take the pictures and talk about uh, stuff I was doing. And uh, 
history and uh, current and future. And, and nice category. It's neat when a bass player talks to you about bass. <laughs> and in, in fact, uh, they were there to add some stuff to the website. They came up to the Dose gig we played up in San Francisco. In fact, Hugh was there. The gig was over, and uh, he comes up to me, and it's a heart attack. Like I, yeah, because the last time I saw him was in Ireland. <laughs> and here he is at the Hemlock. Wow, it was great. It was great. Yeah, and so Dose played and they filmed this for their website. So he's uh, Play Magazine website. I'll have some Dose and I did some Spiel there too. Cool. Fortify the original Spiel. <laughs> Uh, his, his name is Brian. He was cool people. In fact, he was in a band that played. Uh, remember, I was up there a month ago with Nels and Perkins mm. Banyan. He was in the band right before us. Oh yeah, yeah. So I like this idea of blurring lines. Uh-huh. You know, journalist, uh, entertainer. You know, no. Yeah, I guess. Take several turns. hats. Like I got, <laughs> I did an interview with some Australian cats, and there's a how do you do this radio show and uh, uh, make a band and. Uh, you know, uh, uh, run your hoop page, and uh, well, you just do. <laughs> you know, I don't think we should. It's all part of the human thing, to, you know. But we it shouldn't be so rigid. And uh, if you had an agenda, you probably wouldn't do it. You know? Yeah, that's why trip on a school. You got different subjects, right? But right. It's like, not like that life. It all kind of blends together. That's the way yeah. real life is. Yeah. Taking right. turns in different roles. Well, Shakespeare said, "Life's a stage." You know, we're all playing different roles. And it gets kind of static if uh, things are all fixed. And uh, to uh, departmentalized, I think that was the school word when I was young. Yeah, get some different hats. Yeah, because you know what? That's what it's about anyway. You know, yeah. the illusions and sch- uh, schema, uh, paradigms. Is that the word, paradigm? <laughs> paradigm? <laughs> That we get caught up in and thinking this is the uh, essential reality, and, which is kind of neat uh, about some of the 60s uh, thinking, reevaluating things, and just size them up. I don't think that got old fashioned. Maybe some of the bell bottoms and haircuts, <laughs> but some of those things, and probably the, uh, those iconoclastic, God, uh, William Blake, many, <laughs> a couple centuries ago, was. Asking people to reevaluate. You know, I'm curious, you. Uh, I want to get back to Ulysses because I'm, I want to know your take on that book. What, what, what did you think about it? Because, you know, I was saying in my 20s, it was really heavy and went on me as far as profound. And my take on it then was a very uh, ce- ce- celebratory of life thing. It was all this yeah. up, up. And then when I reread it in my 40s, I got a whole nother feel. Now, obviously, the words stayed the same. I changed, but I, I sensed, in a way, it was a very sad book that I never got as a young man. And so, I'm curious about uh, your take on it. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you can. It's. I suppose when you come to it in your life, it's going to mean different things when you when you look at it. Um, but for me, what was really fascinating was that Stuart Gilbert book. That that the kind of companion to you to Ulysses that kind of explained how each chapter had these things and I mean you know what I'm talking about yeah, yeah, yeah. each Absolutely. chapter has a different you know organ all those things, uh, 
Like a little uh, guidebook. It is, it's a guidebook in a way, but it was written with Joyce um, uh, approval. He was alive oh, at the time, yeah, and, yeah. and he sort of explained it for people. So he said every, you know, it's based on, on the story, you know, uh, the Parallels. Odyssey. The Odyssey, Odyssey, it's got the same amount of chapters, the same things happen in each chapter as happens in the Odyssey. Like the one-eyed patriot is actually the Cyclops in, in, in the Odyssey. and. Citizen. The citizen. So each each famous exactly. And there's a Circe even went and drew out a schema. Yeah. Which David Kahn went and actually made a thing and Great. gave it to me. I have it as a poster in my pad. And uh, yeah, the episodes because when you're reading it, I mean it's a very psychological book and it doesn't even have real chapters and things, you know. But if you know Joyce's schema, he, he's giving actual episode names that is from the Homer. And you know, Circe and uh, Golden Ox of the Sun and, and stuff like this, and there's parallels. But there's uh, also another strange kind of parallel, too this thing about Hamlet mm. and Shakespeare. The son, the son of the father. The son of yeah. the father. <laughs> it's funny, there's this, like, uh, the caddy starts off the book, but he's living with this Buck Mulligan guy. He sees him again in the uh, library, and this is where he's espousing his theory that Hamlet must be Shakespeare's son. And then um, Mulligan asks him, well, do you really believe that? And he goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, and there is a great humility in, in, in the story, yeah. too, even though it's trying to talk about everything. And what's really neat about it, it all takes place in one day. Because mm. I think he thought it was, that's the fundamental cycle. All the other things are kind of abstract. Mm weeks, months, years. Yeah. When you get down to it, the sun rises, the sun sets. You go to a funeral, somebody's born, somebody dies. Right, yeah. right, right. So there's the, that's the demarcation. And so he puts it, and I actually use that in another record later, the schema part, uh, contemplating the engine, the engine room. Because yeah. that's one day. And it, it, my pop's life in the Navy, but actually uh, a metaphor for the life of the Minuteman. Mm-hmm. So, so like, that's why I'm saying that it's mm. a profound book on me on a lot of levels. Just I, and it's exciting. It's like a, sort of finding a, a trick to, to get into the book again, and it makes it's it's quite exciting to to realize that. And it's like a detective story. You're finding out what it's really about. Yeah. You know. It seems like it wants to be about everything. Everything. <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, it's a trip. I even brought parts of it up again with the second opera. Like the first song is called uh, "Boiling Blazes," and Blazes Boiling is the uh, <laughs> lover of Molly. Now that was fever. I was boiling up, but I, I still burning up. I mean, the thing wasn't just a phase in my life. I think it's always going to resonate in me. When I reread it again, because I was going to make the trip, the thing was coming. In fact, I got the Sandy Mount ticket and keep it in my wallet. You know, it's such a trip because here's the <laughs> physical evidence. And I was there. Yeah, Sandy Mount, June 16th, 2004. That's great. Yeah, I showed it to Sean Lennon and he took it. And I was kind of convention over this in my mind, like, should I ask for it back? Because I should be so fucking shit hoarding with materialists. But another way it was like, God damn, this is giving me all. The luck I need. <laughs> so I did ask him. Because he goes, you know, uh, uh, something about 30, what street he lives on. And, and, and Bloom is Echo always street, going 32 yeah. uh, feet per street, second yeah. per second. Oh, no, but what Sean lives on in New York. 
at the 32. Yeah, it's number seven Eccles Street. I seen the door. <laughs> they only have the door and like the thing there in Dublin. But Sean was saying, yeah, you know, because he keep Bloom's always going over little things. He's always thinking, and so for some reason, like the the law of gravity, the acceleration of gravity keeps going through his mind 32 feet per second. And so Sean, like, and I was like, whoa, that was pretty interesting because a lot of young people, or even my age or whatever, they don't bring up things from that book so much, you know. Uh, so that that, that was kind of neat. But I did take back the ticket. <laughs> And then, then I, I, I had almost regrets about it later, you know, like maybe I should send this back to him. Because of, cause I took it out to show him, you know, when he said that. And so maybe it looked like I was actually here, Sean. You know, I'm passing the baton. No, no, Indian Gary. You know, ah. giving it to you. Yeah, so maybe it's not a big deal, but. I had kind of a crisis over it. <laughs> what was that? You think any other movies are going? People are going to make another stab at it? Um, oh God, I don't know. You know, I mean, it's crazy thing to do it in the first place. It was the Orson Welles thing where he did the uh, operas thing in the whorehouse. Oh, he, did he yeah, really? He, he did, did a little. He short. did a bit of that. Wow. And that's the real because crazy stuff. Yeah. Right. It was handled uh, pretty trippy in uh, the Bloom movie because it's really weird. Uh, it's almost id stuff, and uh, night ten. Men maybe where men are really afraid, really insecure, mm -hmm. and it's a really bizarre kind of scene. Like he's on trial for being a perv in his mind, but actually it's because he's a Jewish guy living, a Jewish heritage guy living in Dublin, and his whole people are up on trial, but he's on trial for being a perv in a park. Really wasn't, but I think he's feeling guilt over the letters he's been writing. There's a lot of shit going. Yeah, read it, brother. I'd like to know your take on it. I started tripping on it when I was down in Venezuela. I tripped on the whole languaging of it, the way that I guess that's when you're talking about the parallelism, just the way he used his words. Like this one thing I remember, he said something like, uh, "They rolled the barrels out as the barrels rolled out." Or something oh yeah, like that. Hmm. and he was heavy into music. In fact, there's some recordings of him singing. And uh, there's been a lot of books written on that. Petty Punk gave me like 50 or 60 books every time. And they're all old, beat-up ones from second hands. Yeah. And there were people... The one that really struck me was this one. I can't remember the author's name. I was trying to think of it, but it was called On the Liffey. Liffey's the big river in town. And in Finnegan's Wake, the book he wrote after, that kind of is a symbol for infinity. It starts with that river and it ends. So it's like the book don't end. Get again, fin again. And there's some old Irish story about a guy who got so drunk they thought he was dead, but he just conked. So he actually rises at his wake because oh. he wasn't dead, but yeah. it's kind of resurrection. Uh, the bell Pharaoh ringer. going back to Egypt, maybe. Uh -huh. kind of the bell ringer. Bell ringer. Oh, right, right. <laughs> people with bells, so yeah. like, oops. The graveyard shift. That's where the graveyard shift that's, came. Yeah, that's where the bell ringers. Felt. All right, we're at the end of um, first hour Wife Beatles show of February 20, 2007. Hang tight for act two. February 20, 2007. It's the Watt from Pedro show. Frankie Teardrop. 
Frankie with a gun to his head. I know, I know. Frankie's dead.
Rock from Pedro Show. That was a song Hugh Pick called Trace Cosas by uh, Juana Molina. Can I tell you something about that? I, I saw her play in Dublin uh, recently, and she, she was uh, just on her own. Like you said, she jammed a cano, and she did a, a really good gig. So it's quite electronic, strange music, but it's beautiful. And she's from... Uh, Spain. I think she used to be an actress, actually, and she was well-known uh, in Spain and decided to go back to music. Ah. Who's the Spanish actress? Well, no, is it Ava Gardner? She's playing a Spanish. I'm trying to think of that movie. Oh, Night of the Iguana or something, yeah. Night of the Iguana's with... Uh, was that her? She's, it's yeah. a Latin thing, because yeah. I think she ended up living in Spain some, but uh, it's Mexico, and uh, Richard Burton is like uh, some... Priest. I think that's it. Yeah. Or it's but one the of movie those. I'm talking no. about is uh, she's an actress that gets discovered. It's Humphrey Bogart is the director that has been drinking a lot, and the only gig he can get is to work for this bullshit producer. In a lonely place. And a- Ava Gardner is this she young actress in Spain, and that gets discovered. And like, you know, God damn, I can't remember. Terrible. But I love Bogey. He's one of my he favorite actors, and I, I try to see all his movies and uh, and re-see them because my memory's so bad. I have to <laughs> rediscover them. <laughs> you know, a lot of movies I can't see twice, but uh, I can with Bogey. Man, I'm way into him. I don't know why, but there's something about cool. him. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> all right. He is that cool now. And I like, he also, I read books about him, and he took on the business. He became the first independent producer after, I mean, it started out that way with uh, Chaplin and Fairbanks and Pickford and Nars. Right, Nars. right. But then it went to this stable system with the big moguls, and uh, he named his company after his uh, sailboat, Santana. You used to have some Pedro time, didn't you have one? That's right, that's right. Yeah, the Hollywood Gables, I think they called it. It was by... Uh, Rancho. That's where the bungalows were. Cats used to come down here. Yeah, yeah some of these pads just down the street, like uh, where Dirk's at and stuff. And there too. Yeah. 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 Different times. I wish I uh, could go back to the old Peter, but you know what? It's probably very heavy in some ways, so. That's <laughs> okay to go back. It's okay. I'm in the moment. What? Oh, yeah, we started off the second hour with Frankie Teardrop by Suicide. It used to scare me big time. It still does. <laughs> that is a heavy song, and that was a strange band. It's from their first album. And uh, Thurston used to get to see him in the day. So I uh, always pick his mind about those experiences. He, I had him on... Uh, I had to do it over the phone, but we are talking yeah, It was an interview with him, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's on tour right now. I asked him for some advice. Uh, Stooges people asked me t- for, uh, who to get for opening acts because the tour is coming, you know. So I asked Thurston and he suggested some bands, so we'll see how it goes. Cool, so different region, different local. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yep. Uh, tickets went on, so all the pre-sale have sold out. So. I think we're here on the 23rd at Wiltern in L.A. Oh, it starts in Boston, I believe. So it hasn't gone for sale yet. Yeah, well, so yeah. pre-sale did. Yeah, so that's a neat pad. It's an yeah, Art Deco cool. thing on the Miracle Mile. Yeah, cool spot. Wilshire Corridor trip. 
Uh, yeah, they were going to tear it down. Oh, man. Yeah, but it got saved. Yeah, that's classic. Yeah, I saw James Brown there. <laughs> Bootsy came. I remember Bootsy showed up, and uh, he had a cape on, and on the back of the cape it said, yeah, it's me. And he didn't play anything. He just <laughs> spun around. And he, hey, whoa. <laughs> or maybe Jim, uh, Mr. Brown asked him to... Uh, <laughs> You know, exit stage starboard. It's my game. But that was that was a trip. Me and Raymond saw. Wow. Uh, now is my extreme pleasure, honor, privilege to bring you Brother Matt's spin cycle. Thank you. We're gonna get to a little Fat Tuesday mode for starters.
a badass. She's a badass. You are a badass. Swamp buggy badass. Swamp buggy badass. I am a badass. I'm a motherfucking badass. She's a badass. She's a street walking badass. He is a badass. He's a dimebag badass.
Something new. In fact, the record's called. Let me look at it here on later. It's called the Real New Fall LP, and that song was Green Eyed. If it sounds like I'm chowing, it is because I am. Brother Matt, fix me up some righteous jambalaya. 
Very happy. In fact, I might have to probably get another fucking bucket full. Cool. Long time roulette. <laughs> Before that, we got a song that you picked. Uh, Daisy Glaze. Yeah, Glaze is Pedro slang for <laughs> swim team. By Big Star. Uh, Want to say something about that? Uh, just just another great, great sort of American sound for me. Um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, we're at the end of the second hour, February 20, 2007. Meter show, hold tight for hour three. February 20th, 2007. It's the third hour of the Watt from Pedro show, and here's part six. Jack Flanders in the Ghost Islands. Jack. So Bunny is on an island that has disappeared? Probably. And you are doing nothing? What do you think we were just doing? Talking. How about some action? Okay. What? Claudine. You say she knows, so ask her. Look, Claudine tells me absolutely... Nothing. Right. Smart woman. Well, in this case, I don't know about that. Why don't you know? I don't think she can handle this. Did she tell you? She tells me absolutely... Nothing. Not right. Did, did we just step into a loop? Are you feeling loopy? Aren't you... No. Never? I just am. Always? Of course. Well, maybe we have more in common than I thought. <laughs> and we are friends? We trust each other, yes? Oh, well, I don't know if we have that much in common. <sighs> I can live with that. Go find Claudine. I promised I would never interfere with what you're doing, or even ask the purpose of this voyage we've embarked on, but something is happening that I have the feeling you can't handle this alone. You might be right. Well, can I help? No. Please, I, I need your understanding. I just wish I knew what to understand. Jack, I... If I bring you into this, it may cause more problems. Well, probably, but what about Bunny? I, I feel she is safe. Okay. I was in the pelican's pouch talking to Joseph, and I felt something change. It got real quiet. The music stopped. I could hear the flies buzzing around. And then, even the flies stopped. Hmm. I noticed that Joseph had poured a bourbon and set it down on the bar. And then stepped back and was watching it. He was expecting something to happen? He was making an offering. To those that bless us. That's what I was thinking. But you didn't see anything. Uh, I did. I felt something. But I couldn't see it. Not looking straight on. I turned my head away and checked out things by looking through the corners of my eyes. That's when you can see the spooks. You saw it? I saw something. It was almost transparent, but fuzzy. It's hard to focus on something when you're looking out the corner of your eye. It was some sort of entity? It was a fuzzy blob. Like Bunny said, shaped like a cocoon floating above the floor. And then it was gone. The flies started buzzing again. The music came back, and Joseph drank the bourbon. Did you ask Joseph about it? No, it, it didn't feel right. 
You know, I've been noticing around town, there's more and more little shrines and, and offerings. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of free lunches out there. <laughs> it's tempting, isn't it? Especially them fried chicken legs. Mm, mm. <laughs> should have brought my iPod. Oh, Joe, you have an iPod? Doesn't everyone? <laughs> I thought you'd have a boombox. I used to have a boombox. It was about the size of this boat. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've gotten smaller. Everything has, except SUVs. Yeah. Did you know that... What? Behind you. What's there? Whoa! Where did that come from? Start this thing up. Let's get going. <clears throat> Oh, no, don't tell me it's not going to start. Come on. Oh, come on. Fast, Freddy assured me this motor is in tip-top shape. I think it's flooded. Man the oars. Time's a waste. Aye, aye, Mom. Come down. Do you think these islands ever pay anywhere else? What? You mean like, like China? I was thinking more like... Off the coast of Borneo. Uh, let's hope we don't find out. Uh, 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 hey, this Spook Island's looking pretty solid to me. I don't know. It seems a little shimmery. Uh, palm trees, white sand, soft surf. <laughs> That's real enough for Mojo. Hey, hey, that, that little beach over there. It looks like a good place to land. Okay, Eve too. It, it seems pretty real. There's nothing ghost-like about this. Okay. You first. Uh, why me? Well, in case there's cannibals. Oh. So they'll eat me first? Oh, no, 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 no. They may think you're one of their own. Hmm. The old Ooga Booga, huh? I think he just wants me to step out to see if I'm going to sink. But you just said it looks real enough for Mojo. Uh, th th there's something about this place. Mojo, you gonna hop out or not? Look, when we're on the island, what happens when it disappears? We'll find out. Is it just me, or is this island changing? It's getting light out. Come on, move it. Uh, aye, aye. One small step for Mojo, one big step for... Whoa! <laughs> I guess it wasn't solid after all. Hey, man, give me a hand. Okay, okay, come on. Here you go. As I lay out in this field, brings a shelter, brings. 
from Pedro's show with the 
monitor on so you get the echo. That was Nels Klein with Destroy All Nels Klein, a band he had with uh, five uh, guitars. That was great. I don't think they had a drummer yeah, either. Nels was, was awesome. I think Bob was on bass. Yeah, Bob Mayer was on bass. But uh, G. Stinson, Nels Klein, Carla Bozilich, Woody Aplanop. God, his name is hard. Aplanop. It's hard to say. He's a cool cat. I've played his stuff before. Uh Woody, yeah. He's got the band Papa Woody. (laughs) (laughs) There's drums. It's his fucking twin brother, Alex, of course. Sorry, Alex. I just recorded with Nels and Chad Sunday. The Blue Mm -hmm. Oyster Cult. In Malibu. In a scary-ass... roads there you know they go to one lane and these god damn beautiful view though once you got there had to go straight from the airport to play in San Francisco uh, before Nels we had uh, something you picked uh, Dad Steps by The Natural History that's for me tear it up off with, got the bone phone brother man part six of Jack Flanders and the Ghost Islands okay Hugh I want to ask you about yes, acting stuff because I don't have a lot of acting people on the show, and you're doing script right now. And uh, tell me uh, difference between it. I guess it's a bit like uh, maybe recording other people's songs, or maybe trying to get get your own songs, uh, you know, made too. Is is kind of the fun of doing the screenwriting because you get to kind of have a bit of control. Whereas as an actor, obviously, you're you're pretty much a hired hired gun, you know. Um, which can be great as well, but but sometimes you want to actually even have a director. Yeah, exactly. With a large <laughs> cattle prod. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess the writing stage is where everything still hasn't been fucked up yet. So yeah. you sort of you, everything's but there's probably frustration with that, right? Because yeah. When it gets down to the yeah. set. Yeah, of course. But I guess you have that initial bit where everything's perfect, and then right, right. You, you kind of it's up to you what What's you're going to make. Rewrite. Yeah, yeah. I heard like Gone with the Wind. I mean, some big movies were rewritten. Completely. Uh, so so yeah. So the writing is, is great fun for me and, and Faulkner. And yeah, did some writing for uh, with Chandler and even that stuff got you know great writers That's like that. Right, Fitzgerald and yeah. Yeah, they trip on you. Put all this time and then hundreds of pages get tossed. Yeah, yeah. it went a different direction. Yeah, you wanted, so. and also there's a trend too to uh, get an ending that the audience is going to like so you scream different versions sure yeah in front of test audiences okay we'll go with that one I first heard about that with Brazil right it didn't have the ending they actually uh, what's his name Terry Gilliam that's right yeah yeah the US guy in the python yeah it wasn't his choice but the guys with the money you know and we were talking about this while music was playing they got so much money riding on these things uh I actually know somebody who knows somebody who sold a script but never got made. But they made all kinds of money oh, on it. People make their... I think they spend their whole lives sometimes. You know, you can be in development or sell scripts and never have anything actually made, but, you you know, you grow old and die. Money. Yeah. <laughs> That's a bizarre business. What, so what about the business? I mean, because you've been in Ireland. Yeah. And, and some London. And now you come to Cali. You come to the heart of yeah. the thing. The machine and... What's your impression? Well, I think um, 
uh, what I've found is that everybody can be really positive over here and they give you a fair chance because I mean sometimes in Europe they can be a little bit snooty uh, you know and, and, and kind of judging you maybe in some ways and I think everyone in America maybe you're given a fair shot and they're like come in we're going to read your stuff see if we like it or not and they give you a fair chance and I think that's a great it's a great thing about America is that they really do give you a chance and everybody's an open book you know you, we're not going to judge you until you screw things up you know and then we'll then we'll never talk to you again <laughs> that's kind of up to you you know so uh, I've, I've been really I mean everyone's been really positive to us so I have nothing no, no bad experiences yet you know yeah yeah um, acting wise of course it's different you know and, and you can there can be good and bad things to that too but well, everything human is probably going to be mixed up everywhere you go exactly right uh, probably has a lot to do with it is the people you're working with yeah how they carry themselves but you know the acting is great because you can do different things whereas like last year I was doing a Jane Austen thing for, for English TV which was Northanger Abbey one of her first books oh yeah so that's kind of you know quite posh and we're speaking in an English right. accent and it's all very you know quite proper and then I went and did like a zombie movie just now with, with Faye Dunaway in Wales which was me talking like that as a zombie <laughs> and uh, you know Faye Dunaway going what the hell is this kid doing but anyway <laughs> so you know you get to mix it up which is great as an actor you you know you're going from one type of film to another and i love horror movies so that was fun for me but then to do something that's quite you know posh she, doing <laughs> she she liked the script mike yeah. okay. <laughs> but she was great i mean she was you know she's a legend in her own oh, yeah, in yeah. her own right she messed up barfly though while well, rourke messed it up more that's i never well, Linda, got to see you know, it uh, bukowski's wife lives here of course and pedro right actually came to the second main gig she called me, I got home, you know, put my gear up, and the phone rings to Slinda, and she's saying, well, oh, man, you guys were playing great. This is long show, and she goes, I know, I'm into it. <laughs> yeah. It's wild, you know? Cool. Uh, yeah, very nice, but uh, she told me that Bukowski was kind of bumming on their take. But, you know, the interpretation. Yeah. He's not even... Right, they're taking a book and then script and then... Right, exactly. So all the layers, yeah, it's a trip. That thing about Raymond, he's got his paper and his pen, and he, all by himself he has to do this thing, and then put it, hang it, and people judge it then. But uh, us, me to some extent, you to an even larger extent, goes through all these filtering of people process. So f folks are giving you an open shot to just throw your stuff out. That's happening. You know, sort of like the the dream, they, uh, the charade they parade at this uh, <laughs> South by Southwest. You know, come on, kids, come play, you know, come drive down from Anchorage and, and you, you might get signed. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so it's not all like that. Here. No. <laughs> you get, you've met some great situations and stuff. You um, can't win if you don't play. Right. Yeah. If you're not in. Yeah. Or your uncle wants the fifth remake of uh, Peyton Place. See, that's two. I mean, I don't know any scriptwriters, but I know people who know, 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 and they say it's hard to get original things in there. And maybe this goes back to the money thing we we're talking about. So much money's riding on these things. They want, they can't lose. That's right. They can't afford to lose. So if the thing is too original, but then you think of, uh, what's his name, Charlie... Uh, Kaufman? Kaufman? Yeah, yeah, uh, Kaufman. Malkovich. That was a wild one. I can imagine him bringing that one in. 
Of course, and then and then when that's successful, everyone goes, "Give me something like that." Right. And he's like, "Nobody ever wanted to do it until I broke that through." Right. Yeah. And then even though the the other one, uh, the one he did after that about the orchid, Spike told me about it. It was actually going to be about the orchid adaptation, right? But adaptation. It ends up being about trying to do <laughs> a movie about yeah. Yeah, and Hollywood loves movies about movies, but what what a thing. I you know. I, when I did my engine room opera, I went and talked to the boss. I'm the top of the team. I want to do an opera about three guys in a boat. You know, he looked at me, you know, and he doesn't blink. But he was, all right, do it. That was a fucking happening thing. He had a brother who drives a truck. We talked about that for a while. Yeah. He, uh, but, you know, because you have all these ideas about how it is going. And maybe like I was telling you about Torn, I, before me and Dee Boone toured, all we would read in the interviews with the Rocket Stars was how, what a nightmare. And then when we actually done it, we loved it because it was not a burden, it was a B word, it was an O word opportunity. It was fucking righteous. So that's why I'm curious, I, I, I ask you about it. <clears throat> what about getting it together, right? Because you collaborate. What's that like? Right. Well, that I mean, for me, you it's, mean by it, committee. Or? Yeah, I mean, it can. It sounds crazy, but uh, for me, I find that film is very collaborative. Anyway, you know, right. you're always around people. Um, it's not just you playing music, maybe, or some, you know, or, or Raymond painting. You know, yeah. or it's it's it is a group thing. So the more opinions, sometimes it can help. And I know for me, writing anyway with my friend John, he we bounce ideas off each other another way so you, you guys come up with a scene yeah and and where can this lead to? exactly and, see this lead? and if you hadn't said that I wouldn't have thought of this and right, you know right. the usual way that that can work so um, and again acting is something that you you don't really collaborate as much on you're, you're, you're doing your own lines you know your own part and you are obviously collaborating but not quite in the same way so yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the fun of that part of it yeah there was that movie uh, me and my mom would Chowing with y- Yuka, and we we're talking about. But of course, my mother has to talk about it. Japanese movie, but but they use Chinese actresses. In so you, yeah, and so yeah, Yuka says, yeah, I could see how the kimono was folded wrong and the <laughs> collar and and this. But I, you know, I was thinking, well, what if the part called for Martians? You know, when you find a real Martian. Right. I mean, it's acting, right? You're right. playing parts. Shakespeare days, he had boys playing the yeah. girl, uh, women. Yeah. Shakespeare never went to Denmark. Yeah, but he still right, writes. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. the whole thing. So <laughs> keeping it real. Or John Fogarty, right? Mm. Born on the bayou. Yeah, very northwest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. But then you say, you know, as you said, when they told you guys you should move from Pedro because, you know, if I'm you're going to make it. And then yeah. what you're saying, what would we write about? You know, yeah. so. It's a weird trip, yeah. Because art is to transcend reality, but then there's this—you can tell there's a hankering for people for this authenticity. I, I and or, or look, I'll tell you what bugged me was with the Sid and Nancy, right? And in, in his shirt, he's not wearing a, a swastika. They have a, another thing. What, what? 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 Why? You know, I know, but if somebody mm-hmm. else didn't know, maybe that means nothing to the fucking movie. You know, the spirit mm-hmm. of it, or whatever. But like, there's going to be a Darby movie, and Paul and Helen. It was good friends are involved with it and stuff, but you're wondering how much is going to get airbrushed. But for you, just getting a script accepted would be good enough. Yeah, completely. And then you let it go. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know and they can screw it, it all they want. Yeah, yeah. fold it up in an airplane. <laughs> 
But the guy who I do write with is a really good director, so the idea would be that he would direct uh, the, the ah. scripts, you know. So maybe there'd be some control there. And obviously, he said himself, if they really, if they really want to do it without him as a director, he'll he'll kind of you know step aside if he has to. But do the directors have all the control? I guess they, you know, the, the, what's weird these days is the casting is so important, almost more than anything else. Like if you can get a star in your film, then the film will happen. Okay. More than anything, even more than a director these days or a producer or anything like that. It's if you can get, you well, know... Producers actually put it together. They put it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all about the Benjamins. I see that, Bobby De Niro. <laughs> yeah, that's an actor I like. I, mean, oh, I was telling you I love Humphrey Bogart yeah. and stuff, but that's one cat I like. And he's filmed the Raging Bull part, Jake LaMotta thing here at Pedro. Oh, was that some of that waters? It's called uh, La Zona Rosa Numero Dos now, but yeah. yeah. He did another movie with Al Pacino on the on the docks. Okay, that's right, that's right. What was that called? Was that yeah. is that Heat? Heat. Heat. Yeah. 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 Not too old. He was one of my. I mean, he still is one of my main heroes. Obviously. Yeah. It looks like he gets into his parts. Yeah. Like I read somewhere, he taught himself saxophone. New York, New York. <laughs> Which is a great movie, I think, yeah. Yeah, early on, too. Mm. And the bang the drum, the yep, ball. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in fact, the, some of those, the early ones happening. Some of his, what seems I, I noticed he's been doing is like, he don't want to have his own movie. He's coached mm-hmm. with people. I wonder if that's his choice. You could probably choose Because you were saying casting's a big thing. Sure. Bobby De Niro can't have his own movies. I can't believe that. I think but he's been—he's he, just brought out this film, hasn't he? He directed it, and he's in it as well, called *The Good Shepherd*, about the CIA, so the birth of the CIA with Matt Damon. And I think that's been his big passion for the last few years. That's just come out now. So I guess he's—he's he's interested in directing. Okay. As well. So, now. but the, the way he did it was do it and get himself in it, and right. Matt Damon, right. right? My baby. Yeah. I'm riding. I'm holding the reins. I'm riding shotgun because. Guy is such a massive actor. I, you know, I just don't know how those things work. How we obviously people vote somehow by buying the DVD or going to the uh, theater. Sure. You know, who gets to call There's shots. a funny way though. Like I, I've heard of you know a couple of people who've worked with him, and you know you always sort of want to find out how these guys work. And yeah. I've worked with a good director as well. And what they often he likes to do is it's kind of like riffing in music where he'll do a take and he won't he'll say just he won't say he won't want them to cut he'll just do the take he'll pause he'll do it again he'll do it his own way he'll do the line a couple of different ways and it's like you got it you got it in there oh wow yeah and so it's, it's some editing. yeah it's almost like it's his own way of riffing you know what I mean in, yeah, in yeah. that sense and because if wants you it to live. yeah and if you cut every time between a, sh- a take yeah. you lose all the spontaneity and what you've just been getting from the take or whatever and, and things fall over and the lighting and they come into your makeup and then you've forgotten what you were thinking anyway you know so yeah, yeah. he's kind of keeping the moment fresh for, I've done a couple of movies in rain maybe a little different <laughs> but I got really scared to do this shit do you, do you get scared you get scared yeah, fuck <laughs> I'd be man I, my legs would be trembling the other big dealio is remembering just everybody 
remember or do some motherfuckers. Is what me and Raymond did. We fucking tape shit on the wall. Oh, I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, you can actually see some of the shit on the wall. But the object was trying to get an angle. You know about our new thing with Richard. Yeah, we're going to do a Richard II. A film version. And now we've come up with this another twist on it. Because Gomez, a Spanish artist friend of us, we want to play Bowling Broke. I'm going to be Richard, of course. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the 500-year-old English is a little tough. I love the accent. I mean, the thick Spanish accent. You can great. do it. I've heard you do English. <laughs> well, I, maybe I could do but it would be really tough for um, Gomez. So I was thinking of staying spirit to every fucking scene. I mean, as much as we can. We're not in his day, so it's hard to exactly know. But change the kingdom to a band. Now, you know, the, 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 the plot is uh, King's unfit to rule. He's got to go. He's fucked up uh, with the rules of heredity. He doesn't... I was telling you this in the club last night, yeah? I saw Christian's cousin playing. He was the bass on a synthesizer. They were trippy. But, uh, I was thinking, you know, oh, illegitimate ruler. Ah, bass player's the leader of the band. He's got to go. So we're just going to trade the band, the kingdom for the band, yeah. and king for bass player, and Bolingbroke is going to be uh, the lead guitar player. And, of course, you know, the natural order of things, he's got to... Get rid of the bass yeah. player. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God, he's got to go. And in fact, because the, the whole play is hand-wringing on Richard. He knows he's got to go. He's too arty, too dreamy, whatever. Not fit to rule. You know, the politics of that play. You were talking to somebody. They say they didn't know about it. Everyone, everyone knows Richard III. Right, of course. But, uh, yeah, it got put on at a time that was really weird because uh, Essex was trying his coup. And it's... You know, unfit ruler, and it's Elizabeth's in the Gloriana days, and no heir. It's a pretty trippy thing. And Raymond's, he's always been supportive of my crazy whim, so. <laughs> in fact, he's way into it, isn't he? And, uh, okay, we'll change the language, everything to fit this contemporary thing, but not just springboard off him. You, because I, I, the issues in the scenes you take away whatever circumstance they were, they were doing a history play. Actually, it's not about the late 1500s, early 1600s. It's three, four hundred years before. So he, even he was. I want to do the same thing with, uh, with our spiel, our slang or whatever. Great. Our thing. But stay spit to those issues because the righteous thing about Shakespeare is his shit is universal. And the trip, him coming from a glove maker, him not coming from the upper... And he did stuff that everybody could get into. The the groundling with the pennies yeah. and the dudes up in the box. And obviously he had a patron, maybe Elizabeth herself, because to get these things done. Right. Uh, when I started getting into this, I didn't know much about that time, so I started reading a lot about it. And the theater did not have much respect in them days. Government churches all tried to shut it down all oh, the yeah. time. They even had to build the things on the south part of the river. It was like, there's a couple on the other side, but it's heavy. And in fact, when Cromwell comes, he shuts them down, and they don't come back 40, 50 years or so. So it was uh, kind of risky. It was a uh, kind of punk. 
for those guys. Definitely punk, yeah. You know, and they came out weird tradition too, like mystery plays and these traveling guys because people couldn't read, so they're teaching Bible shit in plays, and everybody wanted to be Judas. <laughs> but you're right; it was it was like a gig where people were like screaming at the characters and yeah, intense. Yeah, intense. So I, I want to give them respect, even though we're going to do an adaptation in a way, but. Uh, it's an interesting thing, and, and doing anything uh, creative with Raymond is a mind blow. It's righteous. I, I made three with him: one with about a, one weather underground, one about a punk band in the '70s, and one about the Jim Morrison. That was like four hours long. Leather pants, and I ended up in a bathtub in leather pants. <laughs> but then I'm a ghost. I don't actually totally die. You know. It's called. Uh, Red Tide Rising, uh, Venice or Mars. <laughs> um, well, look what I did. I hijacked your fucking spiel to talk about myself. It's terrible. Sorry, Hugh. <laughs> and do you remember Mike uh, talking about the uh, the Sand Pebbles, that yeah. movie that, that you guys uh, went see when you were young? Favorite movie. That's right. Yeah. Got to read the book. When you come to town next week for the tour, I, I got a couple paperbacks. I'd love to. I'd no, love to Sailor it. wrote it. A big word. That thing is intense. That Steve McQueen, I liked him. Yeah. He was a trip. He had a certain kind of focus. That was trippy. That was trippy. I saw that packing you know, pack draw that you film. in. There was something about him, like De Niro, like Bogart. Maybe just for what I don't know what it is, but man, those cats—they draw you in. It's not like they're fucking goofing in front of a mirror or, or a pandering yuck yuck. It's, it's tw- they bring you into the world, into that world, in that moment. It's heavy. It's almost. Uh, I won't say it's like. Uh, so I manipulate, you know, like a lot, nowadays there's a lot of fast editing. Cut, cut, cut. I feel like it's manipulating me. This shit is different. It's, it's actually like saying it's, it's okay, but not on a, not on, it's okay to come on in. How, how are you going to bring yourself into this? But, but it's not a, it's not beguiling, you know. It's a trip. The guy, he's in his art. Maybe it's like seeing a gig where you get you get drawn into the performance of, of a guy playing his bass or something. It, it draws you in. The, just the endeavor of it. And I forget if, it, if it's even a scene or it's or it's movie or whatever. I'm just drawn into the the, the act of it getting done. It's a trip. About that, it can happen with camera work too. There's a whole thing to it. It's pretty incredible medium and that's probably maybe why I get bummed and a little uh, pessimistic about it because yeah. it seems it's like such can be done with yeah. it because it has right. when that uh, in Brazil I cried so fucking hard they are in his brain but he he's happy he's happy thoughts that's <laughs> his mom yeah fuck that samurai thing that's a fucking scalp that was heavy that was heavy that was fucked up Anyway, uh, uh, oh no, we don't want to. I love Nels Klein, but 
we should probably play something else. <laughs> Another thing, yeah. Uh, Bought from Peter Show.
Bob from Pedro Show. I'm giving my own interview here. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, that was now with uh, It's So. And uh, before that was I Am Robot and Proud with, <laughs> that's a name. <laughs> Maybe Highline, huh? I'm, I, I Robot, that was I Robot. Wasn't too much in it. The electricity is in your house. No, the electricity in your house wants to sing. So long side and title light, long better name. Beautiful music though. You probably couldn't hear. Don't mind you. Folks out there. And bullshit before that with you are song. Yeah, you mean you mean cramping? And we started with men folk. <laughs> with hell, hell is in Texas. And we're laughing because this is, this is a band from Denmark. Hell is in Texas. We had probably a lot of things in Texas. Big, big. I don't know if you've ever driven. Th- it's 880 miles across. Yeah. Took the train across. That took a couple days. Damn. There's a lot of stuff in Texas. Or, or at least you can fit a lot of stuff in here. And the men folk, they're just, they're into it, huh? That's a trip. Go Danes. My pop's mother was Danish. L- Lorenzen was Canadian. Some of us moved to uh, Pedro. Some of us stayed there and made punk band. Sing about Texas. Uh, Hugh, thank you so much, man. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's been such an honor. Yeah. Nice to have you. Uh, truly righteous. Uh, you're my first um, acting man to be uh, on my show. Usually I have um, music people. But So thanks for giving the insights and, and the great songs you play. And... Uh, I know you wanted to come to Pedro. I've always wanted to. This yeah. has been a real fulfillment of a dream. Next week, I'll give you a tour during the daytime. Great. You're on. That won't be for the radio here. <laughs> you can't just imagine. <laughs> if you heard a bunch of Minuteman songs, and then one of those idiots was going to show you around the town he lives in. It's kind of what it's going to be like. <laughs> <laughs> Or something, but I love it, man. I've given a lot of tours, Vidra. I love it. It's I'm looking forward to I it. I kind of relive all the things and stuff without being too gooey sentimental because I'm yeah, turning somebody on to the thing. And um, your town's great too, man. I, I know I'm going to come back there in the beginning of September. That's great. So uh, maybe you can take me around again. You got it. That would be righteous. And. Uh, You'll probably be coming back and stuff. I hope so, Mike. Again. Yeah. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll shoot by cool. again. It would be a pleasure. Cool. Absolutely. And brother Matt, Very thank cool. you for all the thanks, Matt. And a bet, and it yeah. did the cool. righteous jambalaya. Oh, cool. God damn. Cool. And you know, a fat worthy of a fat dude. <laughs> <laughs> Way worthy. More than worthy. Cool. And uh, back next week, probably uh, last show for a little because I got some of my gigs, Stooges in Europe. And uh, 
I'll be back the ninth. Yeah, so that that week won't be gone. But next week we'll have a show. My send off one, and uh, some dose gigs in uh, coming up. Three in a row. Um, tomorrow in Long Beach. Uh, do piazzas. The Riders Garage. Uh, Monday, I'm a, we're playing live on LittleRadio.com. Another internet station, mm-hmm. but a great one. Bobby Yalt had me on a couple weeks ago, and uh, great cat, great drummer. Good folks there, Josh. And then uh, Dose, uh, First Thursdays. You know, this has been going on in Pedro a while. Oh, the First Thursday thing. I didn't yeah, know DJ, about it. They DJed back at the Karma Studio. Oh, yeah, well, well this is on Salmon Street. Karma yeah. was on six, so uh-huh. this is like some art galleries and a guy that's having me and Kara play mm-hmm. seven Yeah, the whole downtown's on his first oh, Thursdays. Oh, it is? Yeah. What an idiot. <laughs> and I was making fun of the people who didn't know the kind little, uh, you know, geography spots in Pedro. And then I didn't know about this social thing. So, about time I learned. And we get to play. And then we, uh, yeah, and then I go away to France and Switzerland uh, for some Stooges. So I'll write some diary for me to do there. Cool. Um, everybody, it's uh, February 20, 2007. Version of what for Pedro show? Keep your powder dry.